But Lord, we ask that as we come before you today, that you would so anoint our minds and our hearts that we might see the truth of your word and have the grace to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want you to think back to a major day in your life. Maybe it was a commencement or perhaps a swearing in to some sort of office. Or maybe it was your wedding day. Perhaps you even remember your baptism day. Today is one of those days. One of the defining days in the life of a person. And though Letty will not remember it, we all will help her remember it. That's what we vow. And after today, there is a change that will come upon her, just as in those significant days that you might recall, that she will never be the same again. You know, once you're married, you never become single again. I take umbrage with our culture's use of single in this, just a little side note. Um, You're never single again once you're married. You're divorced, you're widowed, or a widower, or something like that, perhaps. But you're married. You've been married. That has happened to you. And you can never undo it, right? Um, Of course, we know that um, with those things, we live with the results of them, one way or the other, good or ill, right? We can't undo it. And so it is with holy baptism. Of course, this result is good, good, eternally good. Today's scripture texts are wonderful ones for a baptism as it lines up here with the third Sunday of Easter. Uh, And these are the third Sunday of Easter texts. We even have a baptism in our first lesson, the baptism of none other than Saul, whom we often, more often refer to as St. Paul. And the sermon today is simple. It's about grace. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you are being saved. For by grace you shall be saved. By grace you were saved. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, or look at page 4, of the order of service as we look at St. Paul's conversion story. The story in Acts 9 is recorded by St. Paul, or by St. Luke rather, the historian among the disciples. And Luke tells us of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Just for a moment, I want to stop and say that When we see Saul in Scripture here, Saul is the same person as Paul. He's the same person as Paul. Saul is merely the Hebrew, and Paul is the Greek. There's no significance beyond that. In Acts chapter 13, verse 9, it tells us he was called by both. And so today we'll call him Saul, because that's what the passage calls him. Look with me at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder 
against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul's a passionate man. That's one thing that we see throughout Scripture. And we don't need to look any further than that, those first two verses to see that he's a passionate man. But if we look back at the previous chapter, Acts chapter 8, if you have your Bibles open, you'll read this. That Saul approved of that execution. The execution being of St. Stephen, the first martyr and deacon in the church. If you read further on in chapter 8, 8 verse 3, you'll read this. It tells us that he was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged men and women and committed them to prison. That is the Saul who will be transformed into the St. Paul of the epistles. And you might ask yourself, why does God choose Saul? And yet, nevertheless, he does choose Saul. And if you're asking why, you're in good company. For in today's reading, we see Ananias asks the same thing. Look at verse 14. When God comes to Ananias and tells him about Saul, he says this. And here... He says to the Lord, He that is Saul has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I've heard about this man, says Ananias. He's a man of great passion and he's destroying the church, ravaging the church, as chapter 8 says. Why? Ananias is asking the Lord. Saul, why do you want me to go to baptize this man? St. Chrysostom, the great 5th century archbishop and preacher in Constantinople, comments on this verse. And he draws us back to Mark chapter 10, verse 26, regarding this point. Do you remember that passage offhand? I didn't. I had to turn back and look at it. It's just after Jesus tells the apostles that it would be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are astonished that Jesus says that, and they ask Jesus, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Jesus' response to the disciples is what St. Chrysostom applies to St. Paul or to Saul here in this verse. Paul is being chosen to be an instrument by God. But Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10 apply to Saul too. And applies to us. Jesus looked at his disciples when they asked, Who then can be saved? and said, With man, it's impossible. But, with, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. And so Ananias is obedient and follows the call of God to go and meet with Saul and baptize him. Look at chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, that is Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Why does God choose Saul? 
Well, he has many reasons, of course. We can't probe all of them, but I believe that it's to demonstrate the amazingness of God's grace. The amazingness of God's grace. For by grace you have been saved. God's gracious choice is to do the impossible with this passionate man. To do the impossible with this ravager of the church of God. And to do it for God's own glory. To take a zealous murderer, a soul that's breathing threats. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, still breathing murderous threats and murder against the disciples. If you actually dig into the language, that's just not Paul muttering. If you look at the Greek, it's actually Paul inhaling and exhaling murderous threats. The idea that he lives on this stuff. That it's the air that he breathes. To take that same man and make him into St. Paul the Apostle. To change him forever. Saul himself reflects on his conversion. In his epistle to the Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 15, he credits it all to the grace of God where he says, He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Paul sees what's going on. And Saul is healed and baptized by God's grace. Look at verses 17 through 19, the end of the passage today. And Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, that is Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Saul is healed and baptized by God's grace. Saul was chosen and marked by God's grace forever. Yes, it's true that he had been that man breathing murderous threats, ravaging the church. But God would take that, forgive it, and commission him to be the apostle, the one sent to bring the good news to the Jews, the Gentiles, and the kings. Just as Letty today has been chosen and marked by God, chosen and marked by God, today we sacramentally demonstrate God's gracious choice. Not because of anything that Letty has done, right? Or because of who she is. Scripture tells us that all of us are sinners from being in our mother's womb. But because God chose her. And He chooses us by His grace As the opening of the baptism service declares, Scripture teaches that we were all dead in our sins and trespasses, but by the grace of God we may be saved through faith, that grace through faith is extended to 
her today in this covenant of holy baptism by God's grace and in the faith of her parents and her godparents who will be taking these vows for her until she can claim them for her own. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you, dear friends, are being saved. Right now, right at this moment, God's grace is active in you. You are being saved. You're in that ongoing process. And that comes to us in the second lesson given to us today. In the Gospel lesson, I should say, the Gospel reading, we see Jesus appears for a third time to seven disciples. Look with me at the Gospel passage, if you would. It's John chapter 21. So flip back from Acts to John chapter 21. Let's set the stage. We learn later on in this passage that Jesus is appearing for the third time to the apostles, particularly Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, and two other unnamed, seven in total. And there is a whole lot going on in this passage. This is one of those scripture, verses, or scripture passages that you could mine endlessly. The disciples are fishing through the night, we see, and they've caught nothing. This is a story that's happened before. If you have deja vu, imagine that of the disciples as you look at this story. Do you remember it? Where has this happened before in the Gospels? I'm not asking for a citation, but at what point in the disciples' lives were they fishing through the night and caught nothing? When they're called... At the very beginning, at the very beginning, back in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, it's important enough to have this parallel that I want to read it to you in its entirety. It's not terribly long. Luke, chapter 5, verse 5, if you want to follow along. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 1, if you want to follow along. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, who later we know is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And just a brief uh, interlude here. Those of you that heard me preach preach on this passage, you know this already, but for those that have not, The reason that the disciples are fishing at night is because the nets are visible. The kind of nets they're using are visible during the day. And so it was very common for them to to catch fish at night because the fish would not see the nets and would fall into them. But going on in verse 6, 
And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the boat to come out and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Do you see the parallel? Do you see that both James and John were there with Peter that first time in Luke chapter 5? That when Jesus called Peter, James, and John to be his disciples, they came and followed him, leaving their boat. After catching nothing, Jesus had miraculously brought forth a huge catch. And I don't think that we should fault Peter, James, and John for being fishing here after the resurrection in John's Gospel. Some scholars do, but I think they're merely returning to that which they know. It's true that in John 20 they've received the Holy Spirit in a special way, been made been given authority to forgive sins as apostles, and yet, in this particular case, Jesus had not yet descended, and they've got to eat. So here they are out fishing on the very same lake that Jesus called them. The lake of Tiberias is the same as the Sea of Galilee and the lake of Gennesaret. Those are all just different names for it. And so here they are in the same place where they were called, 19th century Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, writes that the context of the Greek here makes it appear that this is actually the very same boat that they were in. He emphasizes that it says the boat, not just any old boat, and that that comes through to us. And so there's this parallel set up between Luke chapter 5 and John 20, where Jesus appears to them now, after the resurrection, and once again calls them. But why does Jesus appear in this way on the sea at this time in this place? Well, let's continue reading. Look at John 20. I'm sorry, look back at verses 4 and 5 in Luke's Gospel, if you still have that open. And when he had finished speaking, that is Jesus from the boat, so this is before the catch, he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word we'll let down the nets. Notice Peter's obedient before he's even called here. But notice also, Peter's reaction to Jesus when Peter first meets Jesus back in Luke chapter 5. Here's his reaction at the miracle. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, 
O Lord. Now, put this in context in Luke 20. Sure, Jesus has seen the risen Christ, or Peter rather, has seen the risen Christ, but what has Peter done between Luke chapter 5 and John chapter 20? He's denied Jesus. He's betrayed Jesus. As Jesus was being tried, Peter says that he didn't know him. Right? We heard that through Holy Week in the accounts from the different Gospels. Peter denies being a follower of Jesus. Contemporary commentator D.A. Carson reminds us of Jesus' words in John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And what have the disciples done in the boat before Jesus appears in chapter 20 of John's Gospel? Nothing. Nothing. They've fished all night. They've been commissioned as apostles. They are fishers of men, but they can't even go back to their old trade and be successful. Apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. If the disciples are to be fishers of men, they must abide in Jesus. And so this, friends, is that second lesson of grace that even after being saved, and even in their case, even after being commissioned as apostles, they can be closer or they can be further from Jesus. They can abide in Him or they cannot. Notice how after receiving Jesus' instructions and being in His presence once again, they're given abundance. Look again at John's Gospel. Chapter 21, verse 6 this time. And Jesus said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some, that is fish. So they cast it. And now they were, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Why does Jesus appear at this time in this place, making them have deja vu and bless them with the very same miracle that He did at their calling? Because now they're called to be fishers of men and He's reminding them it is by His grace that they're going to do this. It's by His grace, living in His grace, that they're going to do their ministry. And what's Peter's reaction this time? It's different. John turns to Peter. John's the disciple whom Jesus loved, we think. He's the son of Zebedee. And he exclaims, seeing Jesus on the shore here in John 21, It is the Lord! It is the Lord! And they all listen to Jesus. And then they come to him. But Peter can't wait. Scripture says they're only about 100 yards off. Sure, right? They can hear him. But Peter puts on his clothes and jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. This Jesus who he betrayed, he can't wait to be in his presence again. It's very interesting to me here that Peter is so eager after betraying him three times. It doesn't happen until after today's Gospel reading, but Jesus, of course, restores Peter, asking him three times, do you love me? And redeeming him in that way. 
And yet Peter's reaction here to Jesus at this miracle is so drastically different than in Luke chapter 5. Rather than saying, depart from me, for I am a sinner, and he's much more of a sinner now than he was, notice, he denied the Lord three times. Instead of being caught in that shame, he knows his Lord now. And so he jumps in the water and, run, and swims to him a hundred yards, and then sits down and eats with him. And how does Jesus respond here? He makes breakfast. He makes breakfast. Peter can't get close to him fast enough. Peter's not deterred by his shame or his unworthiness. He knows that he needs a Savior. He knows that he needs a Redeemer. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that it's not just by grace that you've been saved, but it is also by grace that you continue to be saved. Have you ever tried to do ministry in your own strength? Heck, have you ever tried to be a good Christian and do normal things in your trade, in your own strength? Or in your profession, whatever that might be? It's frustrating. It becomes toil and turmoil. So the lesson of grace here is for the baptized as well as the yet to be baptized. Being a Christian and having the Holy Spirit you have access to Jesus Christ and can abide to Him. You can listen to Him, but you can also walk away from Him. It takes eyes to see and ears to hear the Lord's voice even after we've been saved. And sometimes Jesus will bring us back to places to jog our memory, just as He does in the Gospel today, to help us remember whose we are, and by whose grace we've been saved, and by whose grace we're able to persist in the path that He's called us to, in our ministry to our families, in our ministry to our friends, in our work. For all of that is the Lord's if you're a Christian. There's not just the churchy stuff you do on Sunday and then the rest of the work that you do the rest of the week. It's all in His grace if you're a Christian. And it's not just for fun that today we remember our own baptismal vows, but we're called once again back. Whether we remember our baptism or not, we're called back to those baptismal vows whenever we took them, whenever we do remember. Perhaps it was confirmation for you. Perhaps you were baptized as an adult. Perhaps you rededicated your life to the Lord. We are called back to that today each one of us with Letty, so that we might remember by whose grace we are what we are. And when you wander and sin and betray your Savior, as you also do, just like Peter, and as I also do, just like Peter, run to Jesus. Don't let shame keep you from Him. Don't let guilt keep you from Him. He is the one who forgives. Run to Him. Swim to Him as Peter does. Do whatever you ought to do to get to Jesus. And eat with Him. Come to the Eucharist. There's a reason that we have this breakfast every week. We're not having it today because of the baptism. 
But come to Him. Eat with Him. Be part of Him. Commune with Him in word and sacrament. For it is by grace that you've been saved. It is by grace that you're being saved. And finally, the third point of the sermon is short. You might be relieved. By grace, you will be saved. The passage that we also have from Revelations chapter 5 is on page 6 of your bulletin. And it's a beautiful image, isn't it? Revelation can be puzzling, it can be tricky, but not this passage. It's a look ahead at the new heaven and the new earth that by grace, you, friends, will be saved. And you and I one day will be seated around the throne, around the Lamb, to give Him eternal praise and to enjoy His company forever. Look with me just very quickly here at the second lesson on page 6. St. John, given this vision, says, Then I looked and I heard, and the voices, the voice of many angels surrounded the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered or slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. That is your destiny. If you're a Christian, that is your destiny. And you can only get there by grace, through grace, and in grace. Today, friends, is the beginning for Letty. Beginning of a journey. Throughout her life, she'll be called to turn and run and maybe even swim to Jesus and to be fed by Him and to be in relationship with Him and to be in relationship with you as her brothers and sisters in Him. That, her end, is to join with us around the throne. Some of us will get there before others. But that is the end of the reunion by His grace to join in Revelation 5 and to sing and adore God forever, glorify Him. Today is one of those days that cannot be undone cannot be undone. For by grace you have been saved. In grace you are being saved and by grace you will be brought to the ever presence of the Lord. Praise God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.